Hey guys, and welcome back to the show for episode 42 of the Skullcast. We have our regulars here as always, Azeel and Griffith. We are back to talk about Giganto Machia 5. Uh, we are now one issue away from the miniseries being over, after which, you know, no one really knows when Berserk will resume. There's no date set, but sometime after, maybe soon, maybe uh, sooner than we think. I don't know. No one really knows. It'd be, it'd be great if it started in February or March, but, you know, we're Berserk fans. We'll manage through it, whatever it happens. So the fifth issue kind of capitalizes on what the fourth one introduced, which was, you know, suddenly the action has really hit the fan. We kind of get Gora, you know, physically fighting and wrestling with the giant, you know. So it's, it's sort of like the uh, the inevitable fight that everyone had seen coming for a while. But it is pretty cool. Uh, and again, we're seeing so many more uh, meteorizations in the action style. It, it really makes me wonder about... You know, kind of the origins of the story, even more than before, is like, at what point in Berserk was he thinking, hey, this would be a great side story. Maybe I should extrapolate this, you know, but, you know, that's sort of just an aside. I don't really know. I was going to say, you know. is like an obvious jumping off yeah. point for that okay. topic where he had yeah. to be, when he was drawing that, he had to be thinking like, if he wasn't thinking about it before and if he was, he must be like, oh, man, I really want to do this. I mean, basically, yeah. like, are you starting to do it already? In what if there was a giant falcon? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Who would have, who would think something like that? That's so dumb. Um, anyway, <laughs> this was a cool issue, but yeah, I mean, it does really kind of remind me of basically something similar. I mean, I don't know the the shape of the giant as we first saw it, the way its arms hang down and everything. Obviously, Ganeshka had many arms, but that one it kind of reminds me of Ganeshka's body, like the texture and you know, everything. You know what it reminds me of as far as the shape. Goes, it's uh, the ogre, you know, like the big fat, you know, oh, yeah. legs oh, that are yeah. like elephants and the thin arms with four fingers elongated. It's totally like the ogre. Mm. I didn't think about that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Does it really only have four fingers? Yep. Uh, yeah, don't it, tell it, me you didn't notice it. <laughs> this one page, its arms look like, yeah, look exactly like the ogre. Like, and huh. the ogre also had four fingers. Ah. What's this fellow? Actually, fuck, I think it has only three. <laughs> What's this fellow? <laughs> Man, fuck, I shouldn't be laughing at this. Yeah. So, one thing that, Zeal, you highlighted in the in the thread when you kind of, you know, broke down what was being said is that I think Prome says that Delos is Gora as far as, like, his body yeah. was sort of transformed into this giant structure, you know, this giant well, body. Well, you know... I, or is it even more like that? Like, he, like it's as if he didn't transform, this is, like, what he really is or something? Oh, man. That'd be is cool. That, like, the implication? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's not... Like, my... Uh, I think what he means is more like his consciousness is in that giant body, you know? Because oh, okay. I think his actual body is still in the middle of a little bowl. Oh, okay. Of, uh, okay. See, I don't know. I was actually thinking, like, obviously, you know the translation, but when you first said that, my thought was like that his body was extrapolated into this larger being, you know, like she used the basis of him to make this. But you're right. Maybe it is just him. Well, yeah, and I, I think she like replicated his body, you know, in giant form with, of course, you know, like modifications and his consciousness is, you know, like was transferred into the giant. So that, that's how I take it. But uh, of course, it could be like, I don't have any definite answer, but that, that's how I take it. And the other interesting thing about this issue was specifically mentioning about the Olympian gods, right? Something about how... Their kind of their stated mission, as far as Prome and Delos's goals, are to take out essentially the Empire's giants. But she calls them specifically Olympians, right? Am I right? 
yeah, that's right. Well, she's just referring to, you know, like she said previously that, uh, you know, like they were about the empire, like the, the guy, you know, the, some kind of captain of, uh, the military guys, you know, said in previous episodes that, uh, the empire had been able to go on that conquest thanks to titans and not, uh, to Olympian gods. You know, right, right. And uh, in this episode, um, they, you know, Jose promises to, you know, Delos, Gora, whatever, that following their contract, they will destroy the giants of Olympus. So the thing is, like, you know, it actually got me thinking, like, you know, what is this? Like, you know, these guys are also from Olympus or whatnot, or I have no idea. But yeah, it seems this Titan is uh, definitely associated with Olympus in one way or another. So. Yeah, I don't really have an answer for that, but uh, yeah, that does, you know, like. Um, We also kind of get a little bit more about how the Oracle is able to control the giant, or at least we get a sensation that she's experiencing some of what it's experiencing, right? There's a connection between the two. You know, we kind of already thought that was going to be the case, but it is neat that she reacts to it being hit, you know. She can feel its pain, yeah. Right, that is cool. And its mask cracks, which is, I mean, I call yeah. it, but that's still really cool. And it has uh, multiple faces on it or something. There's yeah. something going on with its face. It has two faces, maybe more behind the mask, which is really yeah. interesting. One Weird. seems to be, well, it's, it's another thing that's very reminiscent of Ganishka, of course, you know. Oh, yeah, right. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's one that seems to be inside the mouth of the other. It's, it's kind of weird, actually, but... Uh, hmm. Yeah, yeah the top of page 21, very clearly you see two sets of eyes, like literally one on top of the other. That's essentially what it looks like, you know? Yeah, and you know, one face is coming out of the mouth, or the other, like the other teeth yeah. and everything. Oh, so. I see. Yeah, now I see what you mean. Right. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty weird, but, uh, you know, why not? I guess. I, I, I don't know what that refers to, and I still don't know what Gora refers to. Maybe it's the name Mira just came up with, but, uh, yeah, yeah in case it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, I, I think one thing that's pretty cool as well is the, the, the way Mura. I mean, he's, he's pretty clearly paying homage to me to like the the genre of uh, giant robots, you know, with like calling out in names and stuff like that, you know, like Nitro Nectar, you know, right? And you know, synthesizing, yeah, pretty much, yeah, <laughs> the giants throwing fireballs and using a plasma blade, you know. And it's interesting the way, like, you know, all these things, Mura. He tries to keep it, you know, like close to the Greek references things you know and uh you know like the, the was nitro and uh plasma both you know greek in origin all that stuff i don't think it's a coincidence i think he's doing it on purpose you know so yeah. i find that interesting it is interesting and i was yeah i mean the next thing i was going to say was it, it does the fight really does get on and last time we talked about this issue i kind of wondered how the fight would be escalated and it's essentially that this thing has you know, weaponry of its own. It can shoot fireballs, and it can it has this plasma blade that it develops on top of its skull, or a nice skull uh, mantle that it you know, then tries helmet. to ram yeah. or with helmet. Yeah, sure. And uh, the cool thing that happens in this issue is that you know, against uh, Promes' wishes, you know, Delos actually protects the villagers, and even though he knows it'll cause damage to himself, you know, a very you know cool, manly, heroic act. And he even says something cool like a wrestler should be able to manage and tolerate you know pain. <laughs> yeah. He's actually, he's actually, you know, like, it's, it's hard to, to transcribe, but, uh, he sounds very manly. Like, the whole way he says so is he, like, extremely, you know, badass and, you know, 
pretty much like, you know, yeah, a real man can take it. A real man can do it. I'll do it my way, you know, like head on and not, you know, using any kind of tricks, you know, while Promi is trying to, you know, being analytic and, you know, I don't know, use some, some tricks or whatnot. He's just like, you know, I'll do this my way. And, um, yeah, he's pretty much just like, it's interesting to see that he's, you know, like he's quite a badass actually, but, uh, in a way that's, you know, different from guts. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's a little more stoic than Guts, I, th- I think. Something about him, it just seems, is more, de- even more detached a little bit yeah. than Guts. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, he's quite, you know, yeah, even, even placid, I'd, I'd say, like, you know, yeah. he's just, you know, he doesn't mind, but at the same time, you know, he's a, he's a fighter and, uh, like, he's, he's not in it to lose or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting to me to see his kind of, you know, his psychology. I wanted to say real quick, talking about the whole, you know, managing pain and a man should be able to manage his pain. I mean, Patrick Swayze said it best in Roadhouse. Pain don't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other, the other cool thing about this issue was it's different for us as a reader. Uh, we know what's going on behind the scenes. We saw Delos transform, but it seems that the Scarab tribe doesn't quite get that. That is Delos, you know? And so whenever he starts performing the moves, you know, the big, you know, suplex or, you know, whatever it does at the giant at the end. Uh, Ogun actually says like that technique, you know, so he's actually like, is it as if he realizes then that that is Delos, you know, the yeah, giant that, that appeared was Delos. So we have special information, but they don't, of course. So that is, well, I think, reveal. Well, that being said, like the chief of the tribe, you know, knows definitely like from what he says, you know, he, he knows, you know, uh, Prome and, you know, Delos are in it with, you know, the giant, you know, like, you know, it's what he says, you know, like, uh, when I saw this guy in the desert, like, because it's so deep in the de- desert that it's not like, you know, two mm-hmm. guys could just, you know, walls in there, you know, no problem. Mm-hmm. So at the time, he also thought, you know, when he first spotted them that they were under the protection of a giant. That's how mm-hmm. he puts it. So, but yeah, as to whether or not, you know, they understand how the giant is formed is, is not clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I find interesting about this episode is just how many angles we get to see uh, Gora's like body or armor from in here, and like all the different little details you can see, like when he's lifting uh, the other uh, giant over his head. Yeah. Basically, you can see like on his like sort of the armor he's got on his forearms there, like the little balls, almost like connecting it onto the rest of his body. But I mean, that could that could just as well be as much his body as any other piece of the armor. So I find that really interesting. Yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, and it's something I've, I've noticed Mira has been doing in recent, you know, years, like even with Berserk is that he's, he's always trying to, I, I mean, I say recent years back to it, it goes even further than that, but you know, like he's always trying to, to come up with interesting angles. And, uh, yeah. I think he's just like recently, he's really like taken it up a notch where, he he's often like even on the cover, you know, on the covers of uh, basic volumes, you sometimes find some angles, you know, like sometimes it works better than others. But the thing is, he's always trying to things that are like we don't, you don't get to see many people trying. And uh, like yeah, that, that you know shot you you mentioned where he's holding the Titan upside down. Yeah, it's, it's one of these things, you know, like it's a shot up of his you know armpits almost. But uh, yeah, you don't get to see it, you know, done very often. And the same goes for shots of. Like, you know, uh, where you see the underside of the nose, you know, like it's a thing he's been doing, you know, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, like I can't think of any other artist that actually goes through that kind of pain because the thing is, it's harder to do 
and harder to make it to make it look good, you know, like a shot yeah. like that. But it feels like Mira's doing it, you know, on purpose because it's hard to do or because it's not done often, and he wants to to make it so, you know, like it's not always the same shot of, you know, like. Yeah. You know, with guts, it would be, you know, with Berserk, I mean, it would be guts, but or Delos, you know, holding up the guys, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And also, the interesting to me is it actually, it makes it look better. I mean, because, I mean, it's not, the first shots were very impressive, but, I mean, they almost seem plain compared to the, you know, the level of detail we're getting in these shots at these odd angles where you yeah. can just see, like, you know, every, you can see, you know, what's happening literally, like you said, in his nostrils. And yeah. It's like, oh, there's like, it looks like there's like vents or, you know, something in there, <laughs> you know. And it's yeah. just like, wow. It's also interesting to me to look at sort of the the design influences that are, you know, in there. Like, you know, I obviously I compare it to things in Berserk and the Berserk armor. He also actually reminds me of uh, Vogan, like in his human form. I mean, this looks more like something he would grow into. Yeah. Than uh, than Delos. So, th- I mean, that's interesting. I also like it. Sort of look, reminds me kind of like the Terminator, but if like the endoskeleton were an exoskeleton over Arnold. Yeah, like, yeah, pretty much. Like, if you look at it, there's, like, some forms, and they're, like, the side of his skull and everything. There's just parts that are reminiscent to me. Well, I was, about design. To, I was about to say that it actually, you know, on that same line, you know, it was a bit reminiscent to me of the Skull Knight, you know. But I think it's just the fact yeah. it's, like, you know, an armor for me. Like, it's an, like you say, it's an exoskeleton, but, you know, it looks like, you know, like, you know, modeled around muscles and that kind of stuff, and... um yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I, I'm not sure even it's even correct to say an exoskeleton because it's more like, like he has you know plates protecting him, yeah. protecting him, but it's part of his you know design of his body, so it's part of the whole thing. Yeah. So, it's interesting, and I think the obvious place where it's going is with this body. So, I mean, it looks like obviously in the last issue we're gonna have the, the final you know attack the final you know thrust you know of this thing is it looks like delos may have been like you know if not mortally seriously wounded you know it looks like he was cut you know yeah. not in half but halfway through his body has been sliced open and the and, it, yeah. and the big mystery is what's going to happen when cuz obviously i think he's going to break the the helmet completely of the the other giant and yeah. so is it going to yeah, be yeah. under its own power is it going to keep fighting is the yeah, Is the yeah, mind th- control going to no longer be effective? Yeah, it's it's uh, pretty much what I think. Uh, you you said everything. Like I, I think yeah. uh, it's, it's clear the helmet is completely broken now, and so. Well, my expectation is that uh, the Titan will be like rampaging, but in any case, no longer the the control of the Oracle, or at least less, you know, under its control. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, since uh, Gora has been, you know, apparently pretty seriously wounded. Uh, he might have to, you know, use something. Or, you know, you see, there's Prome again said, you know, she could, you know, like, you know, use, like, under her contract with Delos. We, and we still don't know what that contract is exactly. But I think, you know, it's pretty much, you know, that they would just destroy all of the giants or something like that. So, uh, you know, she said she could, you know, like, pretty much freeze his consciousness so she would take control of the body. And, uh, I think in any case, we might get to see, like, you know, the full extent of her power, which is something even bigger than that or even more powerful, a kind of, you know, final attack mm. or something of the sort. In any case, I think it's going to be, you know, really pretty cool. Yeah. It certainly looks like it. Yeah, I wonder about that, too. Yeah. About what, yeah, her uh, her contract and what she's, you know, what she's actually going to do and what would make her step in if she didn't do it already to, you know, protect him from himself. 
Yeah. And he's giving the, you know, the I gotta be a man speech. It's like actually you're a giant, you know, Titan sort of robot organic thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it'll yeah. be interesting to see how they resolve that. If he's gonna really be injured, if she could, you know, heal him or nullify uh the damage that's been done. Or if I mean if the thing is, you know, raging and out of control, maybe I mean it I mean it would be kind of a whimper to end on if they ended up having to like calm it down or something. But, yeah, uh, yeah, I think they're <laughs> going to blow it up, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. Well, he but, could always like you know wrestle it to the ground and like have to pin it. It could end like a real wrestling match. <laughs> it's, it submits. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think all the things you know, like that were left to you know our imagination so far, which is you know like what why are they doing this and you know what about the empire stuff like that. I think we'll get a lot of answers in the in the last episode. You know, like it will end up on that note where he'll defeat the, the titan in a how to say impressive and spectacular way, and then you know we'll get you know some more you know information about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and you know, yeah. and it will end on that note. Maybe with the two of them, you know, walking into the sunset, you know, a shot like that. That's how I, I picture it. I think it will be pretty Probably. cool. And uh, and yeah, I also wonder if I mean this is just spitballing now, but if uh, for the reason she might have to take control, other than you know maybe he's injured to the point that his consciousness is like you know like knocked out, but uh. If it might be something where he, if, you know, he does break the helmet and then the, the Titan is no longer under the control of the Empire, if, you know, he might not want to kill it at that point or destroy it, and maybe she'll think differently. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's a little late for that kind of contention, but I mean, it, it's possible. Yeah, it's true. Well, the thing is, yeah, it's true that Delos is, uh, how to say, he's a lot more compassionate than she is, you know, like, she seems to be the yeah. kind who wouldn't mind like letting that tribe be destroyed or she, she just, she doesn't, you know, how to say, you know, have much, you know, empathy for life in general, it seems, you know, at least not, yeah. you know, like we would. And, uh, unlike Delos who like, you know, like voluntarily, you know, protects the people, you know, taking damage while she would, you know, instead have him protect himself and let the guys be killed, you know, so. <laughs> It's quite interesting, and uh, but yeah, the thing is, since since you know they seem to be in it for killing titans and giants or whatever, I, I'm pretty sure you know she would you know uh, be in favor of destroying it anyway. Yeah, overrule anything like that because you know I mean yeah, from what we've seen of his character, like if the giant seemed you know incapacitated or no longer a threat, he might want to you know back off. Where she would you know she could make the argument they're just going to enslave it again and it'll be the same you know yeah. threat. So. So yeah, um, one more issue left. Uh, I really wonder how this is going to wrap up. I guess you guys probably have already just reviewed that, but yeah, okay. Yeah, we just yeah went over how we think pretty much that. I mean, the the start of the next issue, the helmet will be totally broken, and yeah, obviously uh, Gora is going to be in bad shape from that cut. Cool. You know, I also wanted to mention that uh, it it is sort of understandable, but also a little depressing that you know this issue, this this series is not. Not been hitting it with our Skull Knight fans, uh, Skull Knight.net fans. The thread <laughs> is just like tarnishing. I mean, like, you know, well, it took all the snarky comments and, you know, yeah. Gonna be bad. yeah, I saw some of that. It's, you know, it's, it took off in issue four, of course, you know, when, when I got excited about it, but nobody else seems really thrilled about it. So many people that generally chime in for the, the episodes, uh, Berserk episodes are just absent, you know. 
And again, well, I can, I've seen a I lot can, of uh, I've seen a lot of positive comments from like there God. have been there have been for sure. But I'm saying not the volume you get for, and of course it's not going to be. It's not Berserk. Oh, it's a different okay. series, you know. But I'm just saying, I wish I had well, a little bit more support. Well, you know, the thing is, uh, I think in general, uh, we, we've got uh, a community where people don't post much, you know, like, you know, I'm sure yeah. there's many people out there who, who enjoy Gagantomachia, but, you know, uh, the thing is, yeah, we don't, we don't get much posts, even for basic episodes, you know, like in general, <laughs> you know, mostly we drive the conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just more so for, for this series because it's not Berserk, so, you know, you know, it's an, it's a new thing and, People are like that, you know. So, but yeah, yeah, I, I get what you mean. But I think it's really more of a case of uh, the way our community is, uh, you know, is structured, which is, you know, there's a lot of lurkers, I think, you know, a lot of people yeah. who who don't participate because they either feel they don't have anything specific to add or they just, you know, like don't 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 want to be bothered to, you know, to post or anything like that. But yeah, the result is uh, it's a bit it's a bit lonely in there, yeah. Yeah. Well, I also think it's one of those things where it's like where, you know, a Berserk community would be the place to go for, you know, look at for a look at Mira's other work. But at the same time, it would also be where you'd probably find the most objectors because it's, you know, it's off mission, you know, basically, like for, <laughs> yeah. for a lot of people. I don't know. It's, so, inter- it's an interesting question, actually, because to me, like, I mean, I like Mira is so much that by its nature, I'm going to like whatever he does because I just like the way he works, like the way he looks at the world thing he writes so like whatever he does yeah. even even if i was apprehensive about the whole wrestler well, thing i eventually yeah, got over it and i, like I it, was you know? i was gonna say i don't remember that same tune you know a few episodes ago <laughs> sure. well, I've, I've, I've been very honest about how i feel and about how my you know feeling about the series has evolved as it got a little more open about where it was headed you know so yeah well we have wow. i mean we're talking <laughs> this is like a fan base where there is like people Multiple people openly worrying about him perishing before you can finish it, you know, and things. So, I mean, I can understand why, you know. Those posts get deleted. (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, it's just, it's out there. So, you know, those sentiments. So, I'm just saying, I understand why people get just like, uh, more uneasy than you would think about him, you know, doing something else for, you know, even a little bit. I guess the reason I bring it up is because I'm I'm wondering what the legacy of this series is going to be. And where it'll stay in people's minds when he comes, when he goes back to Berserk and when a yeah. separate miniseries is going to be a distant memory, where's that going to be in people's minds? You know, I you hope know, it's a positive place. You know, I think there's also one thing is that this might be more, more popular, you know, uh, for a different audience, which is, you know, an audience mm-hmm. that's more, you know, interested in actually giant, you know, monster and robot yeah. fighting, you know, like there's, there's, there's a big, you know, audience for that, but it's kind of a specific, you know, it's specific stuff. And, uh, I, I think this series might actually get quite a bit of success, you know, with these yeah. guys. It might but, be a bigger uh, deal and, you know, outside of the usual berserk, you know, pockets of fandom. I mean, because yeah, true. like if, if he had done something that was sort of, you know, like in the same world as berserk, you know, like with some other, you know, some other, you know, dark characters, you know, and things like that, then, you know, all the berserk fans might have been like, Oh, this is awesome. I hope he keeps doing this, but this is just so different. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. I don't know. I, know. I actually, I actually would have been pretty bored if his, you know, big sci-fi series turned out to be pretty much like Berserk, but a sci-fi setting. I would yeah. have been a little disappointed personally. Well, yeah, that to me it would have been like, what's the, you know, I wish he had just done Berserk, you know, instead, you know, in, in that yeah. case he was going to. I get what you're saying. You know, too similar, yeah. <clears throat> so I guess we'll move on. I just wanted to address kind of like what the legacy of this will be, as, as we are now 
literally two weeks away from this issue, this whole series being over. Well, and then I think it'll, it'll be, be a footnote, you know, in Berserk yeah. history, unless he like actually revisits it afterwards or again. Yeah, I wonder if he will. Well, you know, now- go ahead. One thing I wonder is how well it will sell, you know, because uh, it's it's a given it will be released uh, as a volume, you know, sure. and uh, I, I wonder how well it will sell, you know, because uh, we don't have numbers for Japan and uh, and you know King of Wars and everything he did, but I don't think these you know sold you know like spectacularly. They probably you know had decent sales, but nothing more. And I wonder how how this one will will you know do you know, especially in comparison to Berserk, you know. Yeah. Well, we'll move on. Um, we are back to our reread section. You know, last time we did volume three, and I had a lot more to say about it than I actually had anticipated. And now we're doing three and four, uh, and again, it's the same thing. So we, we weren't able to finish volume three because I made a kind of an executive decision to stop at the golden age, just to you know, kind of a you know, uh, it's a good, a clean separation point. We were talking about story arcs. May as well finish at the story arc and then move on to the next one. In a separate podcast. So that's what we're doing. We're starting this, essentially the last half of the last section of volume three, beginning with the golden age and then moving on to the end of volume four, which sounds like a lot and we'll see what we can do in the next hour and a half that we have or so. So one thing I wanted to, um, kind of generalize what this, these, this section of volume is about. I think it's important to note that these, these volumes are about, you know, basically the circumstances guts started out in and to me, as I was rereading this recently, it really makes you wonder how amazing it is that Guts didn't turn out a terrible person, you know, given the conditions that he started out in life. You know, he was basically set up to be a monster, you know, the, the way he was raised, his, his, his exposure to familial ties and his molestation as a child. How could he have possibly have turned out a decent human being, you know, well, given all those things? He yeah, I've really been like one of the like – you know, goons that we see roaming the right. land, you know, attack people. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, I also think, you know, like when you see Guts as a Black Souls man, there's a lot of like interrogation, you know, like, you know, try to place yourself from a, a first time reader. Like, you know, you see this guy, like he's not, a, he's not a complete jackass, but he's a pretty, you know, tough and cruel guy at times. And sure. so, you know, like, how did he become like this? And right. so when you, when you start reading these, you know, events, which we'll, we'll discuss shortly, you know, like, you know, I think already at that point, it gives you a, a good clue as to why a man could come to have, you know, that kind of personality where he's not a bad person, but, you know, he's quite intolerant of weak people, of weakness in general, you know, because he himself was raised like, you know, from the, the get go, it was, you know, fucking hardcore. And so he had to be tough, you know, like, you know, from the very beginning. Yeah. And we may as well start from there. And the opening pages of the golden age are, are this, this hanging tree, uh, where apparently pagans were hung there. And one of them must've been pregnant and she gave birth, you know, presumably in her dying throes, she gave birth. And, uh, what's interesting to me is that when they, uh, find the baby, uh, Gambino and the others aren't even sure it's alive. And then, uh, yeah, they actually think it's dead until right. he, he, he cries, you know. And Shizu grabs him up and, you know, pretends it's hers because what's interesting is she just had a miscarriage. And so she was already, you know, emotionally and physiologically ready to have a baby, ready to go through that. And they start, they come across this baby. Dropping it actually wakes the baby up or, you know, kind of brings it back to life or whatever its stage it was in. Um, 
And the whole scene to Gambino exudes this like ill omen, which he'll never forget. And it kind of colors his relationship with Guts throughout their relationship. But what's interesting to me, particularly in this scene, is that the Guts and Casca parallels are just striking. Looking back at this now, you know, the whole uh, – they, they find this baby that Gambino's not really trusting, they're not sure of. He pulls her away from it. You know, and, uh, you know, and she herself is in a state of mind that's, of course, yeah, yeah, totally. All those, all these parallels, I mean, they're so direct, you can't ignore them. It's not like a coincidence (laughs) that this happened this way, that Mira structured the story this way. You have to think Mira is telling us something about these two characters, about Guts and Gambino, and about the differences and their similarities. Uh, and that's what I find so fascinating about this section of the, of the, of the series is as, as Guts grows up, you sort of see, you know, who his father figure was, who his ideal was at the time, and to, and to see that betrayed over time, and, and how he deals with that is is fascinating. So, anyway, we'll move on page by page. I'm getting a little too broad on what I'm talking about, but guts basically has Shizu's sort of protection for in, the, in this time. Gambino probably would have wanted to leave it all up behind. He certainly would have wouldn't have taken it with him if it not were her. If it, if it not were her, uh, and uh. The next scene we get is her dying as he's age three, I think it is. Well, I just yes. want to, when we close out that scene sure. of them riding away, I mean, his his main, you know, sort of, you know, <laughs> like feeling Gambino's in this scene that allows it is sort of apathy. You know, she she sort of forces the issue running onto the carriage and, you know, holding the baby, you know, protectively. And, you know, it's his men who are sort of riding him, you know, and he his reaction is to, you know, basically, you know, call them cowards, you know, and right. go, oh, you guys are scared. Yeah. And, but then at the end, you know, he looks back at the tree, you know, and it shows that he's unsure of it too. You know, it was a little bravado that sort of, you know, totally allowed him to allow it to even happen. And, you know, he might be regretting it already just yeah. looking at that. So it was just interesting, all the different facets there. And it sort of shows how much he, I don't know, it, it, it drives home to me his how much he cares about perception, how much people, you know, perce- how people mm. perceive him, that he's a tough guy. You know, apathetic at best when it comes to being, you know, nice well, or charitable. Yeah, and I think that scene, you know, like in very few panels, it tells a lot. Like it shows that Gambino's pretty much like their leader. Like he's got the ascendant on yeah. all of them. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, it, it establishes that, you know, these are a type of people that are superstitious, you know. Right. And uh, because we see that tree, we don't even know, you know, why people are hanged up there. It could be anything. But, you know, in any case, we see all these things. And, yeah, like you say, he's deriding them like, you know, oh, you guys are afraid, you know. And it's funny because... Like his sentiment on that evolves or maybe not evolves, but at least he wasn't being, you know, truthful because like, yeah, it, it comes up later on, you know. Or it planted a seed in his brain that, you know, yeah. sort of stuck with him. Like, yeah. Well, the next scene we have is uh, this really beautifully visual scene where Shizu is dying in her, uh, in the tent as the scene's lit by explosions from a battlefield, at least the way it starts, we see Guts face an, ex- an explosion. It gives you a context for how he was raised, basically right alongside, even though this momentous occasion or, or event is happening, this life change, his, his mother essentially is dying. Gambino is away on the, on the front lines, you know, fighting, C- couldn't be there. But, uh, you know, even though she has the plague, you know, Guts, you know, takes her hand. Uh, yeah. And, Against against uh, the recommendation of the women who tell him to just you know get the get the hell out of there, but he you know even in in the face of his dying mother, he just you know stands there. I think it gets to to show you know like his personality from very early on. Like he was always yeah. like that, you know, like just you know 
I guess, having courage, you know. Right, exactly. Deserving of his name. <laughs> yeah, and, and the fact that Shizu died and, and Gambino couldn't be there is going to come up again <laughs> as well. And, of course, Gambino ultimately blames Guts for that, which is just stupid and ridiculous. But anyway, well, the next scene we have is three years later. Guts is now six, and they're on the front lines. And it's, it looks to be one of Guts' first, you know, on the actual, you know, field of battle things yeah. and he, he tries to hand guts or he tries to hand Gambino a spear but it's actually too heavy for him and he kind of slips and uh you know and Gambino hits him in the face for it for you know that momentary pause but uh, what was interesting to me is of course it's a, it's a scene where guts is trying to handle a weapon that's bigger than him and can't you know which is something that happens throughout his, his, his whole life is he wants to basically he, he's put in situations where he has to be acting as someone more powerful than he is. And, and he, that's the circumstance he was placed in and he gets hit in the face for it. So yeah. it establishes his desire to be useful on the battlefield, despite the fact that he's very young and, and small. Well, you know, I think, I don't think he necessarily had a choice, you know, like, you know, Gambino probably thought he ought to be useful. And so yeah, sure. know, even as young as six, he acts like a kind of squire, you know, uh, handing him his weapon and just being there to watch and learn and to help him with what he can. Uh, sure. one, one thing I find interesting about, you know, when Gambino hits him in the face is that we see him losing a teeth, a tooth, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, that's not something you get to see very often, you know, like in stories in general, whatever. But, uh, you know, I like this kind of little details that Mua will put in there, you know, like, you know, the character actually, yeah, he gets hit in the face and for once, you know, like, because Gus doesn't get to lose, you know, teeth very often, you know, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, for once. Swings, like the dragon slayer with them, you know, then. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the thing is, it's a good excuse because it can come out and regrow and it's not like he will have a hole in his teeth for his whole sure. life, you know, but yeah, we actually get to see him get hit in the face, you know, or actually the cheek and, uh, and lose a, a tooth, you know, and I find these little details very, you know, very cool, you know. Yeah. We also get to see in those two pages, you know, like all these reactions from him, you know, that'll come into oh, play yeah. later. You know, when the person's, you know, the body lands on him and the guts spray out and, you know, he just sort of, you know, he has this horrified reaction. He gets hit in the right. face and he gives Gambino this look that yeah. Gambino doesn't like. So <laughs> we get the, we get a whole, we get the whole, yeah, the whole uh, spectrum from guts right here already. Yeah. And as he's, as he's sparring with Gambino, of course, he's using a sword that's too big for him, which is sort of I was getting across in the last thing as well. Is he's using he's, he's being forced to use weapons or handle weapons that aren't meant for his size that you know he becomes more familiar with as he gets older. Well, the and, thing uh, is, the thing that's interesting is you know some people you know like on Lucas actually tell him to use a small sword, but he right. refuses. You know, and uh, <laughs> he's like, and he's very like he feels very strongly about it. And the guy, the guy's like, you know, oh, man, he's stubborn and. Uh, yeah, again, it shows, you know, like he had a predilection for big weapons from the beginning, you know? Well, not just what? that. I think what's interesting about the scene is it's not like he's doing it for himself. He wants – basically he wants Gambino to, you know, yeah. not respect him, yeah. but he wants the affection of his of his father figure. And he, that's, he, he knows that's what Gambino values. And so that's what he's aspiring to when he tries these things, when he does these things. And the sparring match gets a little out of, out of hand. Guts actually surprises him, which is really cool. Kind of the action sequence were shown, but uh, and of course he gets slashed in the face for it, uh, a scar that he'll always have. Again, you know, thinks to himself that it was a little, uh, he maybe a little, a little far, but there's this look on his face after that that you know maybe he doesn't trust this kid, maybe he's a little scared of the kid's abilities, or just that he knows 
bad things are beginning to happen because of that kid. You know, it does not really an explanation for what that look is. Well, you know, I see. It's also kind of, uh, I mean, just the whole thing with Gambino, it shows, you know, sort of in a way his true colors. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he's really going hard on guts and mocking him. And, you know, he slices him up on the arms and the face. You know, I mean, he's the one who's taking it, you know, way too far already. Like it was even before guts, you know, was able to retaliate. But the second he gets a little bit of it back is when yeah. he just totally loses it. Yeah, that's, good. that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I think that look of on his face is not, you know, without even going so deep, it's just, you know, like guts actually surprised him. You know, mm-hmm. he was clever and just, you know, you know, actually, you know, wounded him, and he just can't, you know, like he's, you know, angered, you know, like beyond reason, you know, about this, you know, very simply, and that's why he just, you know, struck him back, you know, that, you know, uh, strongly. And also that. The scene shows that Guts was excep- exceptional even from an early age. You know, whether or not Gambino was really, you know, paying attention to that moment or not or whatever, this kid was able to get in a, hit, a real solid hit. You know? Yeah. Pretty yeah, exceptional yeah. ability. Yeah, and get, you know, uh, through his guard. And so, yeah, I yeah, think it's, totally. uh, it's pretty clear that Guts was exceptional from, you know, very early on. And uh, that, that's shown, you know, through, like, everything. Like, he's just six at the time, you know. Right. The next scene we have, which is interesting to me, as I wanted to point out, is just visually, this is really fascinating to me. This scene is lit by the, the, the flap of the tent that's open. You know, the really strong light on Guts that's uh, light-sourced. And uh, he reaches for the, the sword, and there's a spark when he grabs it. And there's a shot of his face as if he's comforted by the sword. And, of course, he cradles yeah. it. And it's yeah, of course. drawn shot that the, the sword brings some comfort and, and safety as well. But... That's a theme that we see throughout the entire series, basically, is the sword is basically guts, you know, what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, from very early on, he needs a sword to sleep well, to feel at ease, you know? Right. That defines his character. Totally. The next day, he got his, uh, you know, training outside, and Gambino gives him an ointment for his nose, which the narrator comes in out of nowhere and says uh, perhaps he was doing it to assuage his own guilt, which is probably what is happening, yes. <laughs> Yeah. I don't you know, foresee this as a as a act of goodness necessarily, but just as a, you know, maybe I went a little too far. We'll just, we'll just forget this ever happened kind of look, you know? Yeah. You know, one thing I wanted to say is that, uh, you know, you got, uh, you know, handed down to Mura to explain a, a trivial detail like, you know, the no scar of guts, you know, some things that – like, you yeah. know, when, when you, you see it on the character in, you know, the Black Souls of Monarchy, it's just purely for aesthetics to, to make him look cool. But uh, he explains it in a, in quite a dramatic and heavy way in the end, you know, like, because the scars become something much bigger than it was at first glance. Yeah. Once you know the story behind it. And That's yeah, for the, for the, yeah, so, so the thing is like, you know, this very small thing, you know, at first it actually becomes like it has a, a story that's really, you know, a, an anchor for the character. And, uh, yeah, about the, the scene with the medicine, I think it's, uh, it's interesting because, you know, to me it shows how bittersweet, uh, a relationship with a violent father can be, you know, like, like even mm-hmm. in real life, he's yeah. teaching him everything, you know, fighting and everything, but he shows so little love to him that, you know, even something, you know, like it's a very small act of kindness, but it feels monumental to guts and to the reader, you know, in spite of not being, you know, like you said, it's just like because, you know, he might be feeling guilty or just to forget, you know, about what, you know, what happened for that. So I think it's interesting to show, like to me, it's it's a pretty realistic relationship, you know, like like one could have with an alcoholic father or something of the sort. Totally, yeah. 
I also find it the the narrator, as you brought up, you know, like that. What is <clears throat> that voice? I mean, in my mind, it's always sort of been it's like guts reflecting on it, but it's weird yeah. because it doesn't really happen, you know. Like, well, you yeah, know, it's the not language like he's actually the, telling the story. Yeah, yeah, the wording. It's got. It's an outside thing. It's a. It is a top down narrator speaking to the to the reader. Is how I've always seen that. Because well, of, like, most because of the, the wording choice, perhaps it was to not than to soothe his guilty conscience. I don't know. Maybe that's just the translation that is coming through, but it doesn't sound like something Guts would think to me, you know? I don't know. Well, not at the time, but yeah, I don't know. If you reflected back back on it, it could be. The text-speech bubble effect is is unique. You know, it's not what they would normally use just for thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also weird because this isn't something where Guts is like, it wasn't like, come around the campfire, I'm going to tell you all about my past. And, you know, it's like, this is just a very, this is an isolated, you know, incident that this pops in. So, I mean, that's what makes it interesting. I mean, there's other moments where we have, you know, things like that little, like, set up dialogues, you know, in the screen that aren't being said by anyone in particular. But it is a very interesting sort of personal moment where it does sound like, someone's personal reflection looking back on it you know where it would be something maybe guts would come to think later when he gets you know the whole sure. picture of gambino yeah i also wanted to point out before i moved on from the scene which i know we spent a lot of time on is that it, the, the last page of it where the narrator speaks you have this cute shot of guts kind of like flapping his feet on the tree log and uh yeah. it's one of our last looks at him is a purely innocent child you know yeah. The next few scenes, he's in his first battle where he kills his first man and he gets molested. Uh, it's a dramatic turn after that point, you know, for, from here on out. So well, he's, just, he's still a cute kid at this point, you know. What I find interesting as well is that he actually waits until, like, there's no one around to put on the medicine. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? Like, you see a shot of him looking, you know, like, looking around, you know, flapping his, like you said, flapping his feet. He's like, right. you know, oh, I'm just, you know, hanging out there. And then he puts the medicine when... The one can see him, you know, yeah. wincing at it and, you know, so it's interesting. It's a very private moment for him. And we actually see Guts, you know, sinking back to, to that moment, you know, uh, later on yeah. in the series. So it shows how, how important of a moment it was for him. It's like, you know, the one moment of kindness Gambino showed to him. Gambino, who was not like he was not a good man, you know, I think he was It's pretty clear he was a bad person. Mm-hmm. And he raised him, you know, just pretty much in memory of, you know, the woman he loved. So, but I think that moment is very important for Guts. And so, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, like, it's like in life, you know, sometimes there's things you, that don't feel important, you know, when they happen and then you reflect on them and they take on another, you know, dimension. And I think it's a bit like that, you know, for this scene. Absolutely. That's a good, well put. It's also interesting the from Guts' perspective, the act he has to put up, you know, when he, you know, clearly he wants to, you know, have a moment with him and say thank you. He ends up, you yeah. know, giving him sort of this hard look and just like, thanks, you know, right. and then this as soon as Gambino leaves, thing. that's when he looks, he looks like a little kid again and is just really looking around and he can just sort of let his yeah. guard down. Exactly. He lowers his guard for that look for sure. That's interesting. The, um... The visual fidelity in this next issue really takes off. You know, it, the the camera kind of pans back and shows us this massive uh, castle siege, castle assault for guts. You know, first front lines battle, or I, I imagine it's his front. Does he say something specific yeah, about it's, it? Yeah, it's, first, it's his first uh, battle. First battle, yeah, at age right. nine. Right. <laughs> still quite. You know, it's interesting actually to to see as well that uh, you know it moves in three years. You know, each time. You know. Yeah. At, uh, at quite a quite a fast pace. You know. Yeah. Totally. And also that um, 
the look in Gut's eyes on this battle is just, is is interesting to me. He's he's cool and determined in this. He's not, you know, whenever you're in your first battle, I imagine it'd be something like you know, Saving Private Ryan on the beach of Normandy. Those guys in the boat, the, the look those guys have in their eyes. But Gut's is very, very determined, very confident. And and then the, 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 the of course the battle launches, and then he's gets a little more scared as things go on. But before I want to get into that. It's cool that the first page he has when he, when he first sees the guy, it's in a first person perspective, that page, as the guy gets closer to him, like beat by beat. Yeah. And then, and then the actual, you know, sparring begins, the fight and begins. And it becomes clear, like, this is the guy, like. Right, exactly. He's singled out. That's what's interesting to me. Yeah. This guy is singled out on the page for Guts first, you know, guy. Sort of get to know him in those shots. Anyway, yeah. it's very quick. It's, he's over in two hits, you know, or whatever, but. Well, you know, he's close. Uh, I think it goes back to what uh, me and Griffiths were talking about earlier about uh, Gigantomachia, you know, when uh, we said, like, the angles Mira chooses, mm-hmm. you know, he often goes for very interesting angles. And I think that's one of the cases where, you know, you don't get to see that, you know, very often or if ever in any other kind of series, you know. But, like, Mira went through that, you know, uh, pain to make it interesting, to make the scene as if, you know, like, to see it like... You were there with the guys charging at you. So, yeah, I, I find it interesting as a choice. And it's something that he does often with very different, you know, uh, stances. It's yeah. also actually the, the coming pages where Guts gets knocked down. It's very similar angles that we see uh, Sigora at, actually, you know, like underneath the chin, you know, in the neck, up the nose. You know, these sort of odd angles that are, you know, mm. not, not the yeah. usual ones who are portrayed. We see Guts, you know, very early on here getting knocked down at those angles. And it's it's very uh, visually uh, interesting and stimulating, you know. Like in a lot of series, you'll just see, you know, they'll show the two guys from the side and one is falling down, you know. <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's not yeah. very interesting. It gets the point across, but, it, you know, not a lot of style. Yeah, it was the thing with manga. It's, it's always been, you know, very dynamic, you know. Like that's what, you know, uh, how to say, separates it or elevates it from more traditional comic books, you know, you could see or why it's usually just, you know, guys, yeah, you know, standing on their feet and, you know, punching each other, but you don't get very, you know, audacious angles. And uh, Mira's really pushing it with this, you know, like, guts upside down, the guy from up, you know, he, he does many things like that. And, yeah, like you said, he's still very early on in the series. Like this one, you know, this was in the in the nineties, you know, early nineties. But already at that time, he was, you know, trying to push the envelope like that. Yeah. Um, the next few pages we see after the fight is over is another wide shot of kind of the castle after it's been stormed. They have these tents. We don't you don't get these shots before this section of the series, uh, and it seems to me that Mira is really trying to establish the the world itself. He's got a world building in these shots. The well, setting and go ahead. As there was one thing I wanted to say, which we didn't, you know, touch upon, is that you know uh, when Gus gets knocked down, Gambino actually saves him by you know yeah. killing the guy who's attacking him, and uh, I think in, it's one of the shots and just encourages him and tells him to go back to it. It's another one of the shots that establishes that Gambino's not, you know, a complete jackass to guts, you know. Sure, he's probably and, watching out for him during that battle. Probably. Saw yeah. That- and then struck, you know. And the thing is, you know, I, I think this scene and the next ones, you know, with the with the coins, where yeah. Gus brings him the coin and he gives him one, and you know, has a nice word with him. That, like, you know, at this point, that's the high of their relationship, where you know it establishes, you know, that 
they almost have a normal relationship, you know, where they have some, it's rough, but they have some affection for each other, you know. And then comes, you know, like, you know, Donovan. But yeah, just, you know, finish what you were saying. Sorry. No, no, that was, that was really all. It was just, you know, these next few pages aren't necessarily focused just on Guts and Gambino in the main story. They're actually showing other characters, other scenes, yeah. bro- broadening the world of Berserk, you know, showing yeah. this world inhabits, you know, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, which I we didn't get that. a lot of before. And I think, you know, it's something Mira does very well. And quite often, you know, like these small shots, which people mm-hmm. just, they might just glance over them, you know. But, you know, in so little, you know, amount of panels, he can broaden the, you know, feeling of the world so much, you know, showing the life of mercenaries, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, you see some guys that holding up the accounts, like it's probably the one guy that can read, you know. And uh, all these things. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think we get to see many of these shots throughout the series. And uh, I think people don't pay enough attention to them, you know. And I, the I, I, I eat them up. I remember when we got in Vertanis, I was pouring over those pages for all those kind of details because I love that stuff so much. Particularly, it's just a world that I love so much. And Miura, it's very careful about the details that he shows. All of it's so intentional that there's there's almost meaning in all of the things that he shows. And so yeah. dig into them, you know. So yeah, it's very deliberate. I mean, we even seen these shots. We see the guys, including Gambino, uh, you know, buying clothes, yeah. you know, totally. And and which you know, uh, she was also, you know, she was also a prostitute, you know, like you know, like there was at the time, you know, with soldiers, you know. So it's interesting these details. Nothing's mentioned. It's just shown on the page. It's just in the background, but you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it adds depth to the world, you know. People playing dice, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Another thing, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, this is Guts' perception of what a mercenary group is like. You know, this is what he grew up in, and of course, it's it's quite a bit different than what the Falcons are when it, when we get to that section. And of course, he even says as much when when he gets there. Yeah. But anyway, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, he gives Gambino his gold, and then it, it happens off camera. But or off camera, off page. But Gambino ends up selling uh, guts for a night to this hulking, horrible-looking black guy with also missing a right eye. I will, I will add, which is just a disgusting detail. Actually, he's not missing it, but it's uh, some kind of it's fucked dead. up. Like, it's, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's, got, it's got a scar over it, and it doesn't look right whenever he opens it. You know, so I, I yeah. assume it's dead. Yeah, anyway, oh, it's dead. yeah. He assaults guts in the night and holds him down, and I'm just. Gracefully moving directly to volume four. This is a, this is an opponent well, guts. Go ahead. You know, I wanted to say that it's quite a cliffhanger, you know? Oh, sure. Absolutely. That, you know, instead of just moving on. And I also wanted to add that, uh, you know, I find it interesting that the volume ends of that note because when you think about how it starts, you know, like there's quite a, a difference between, you know, uh, the, you know, badass guts, you know, warrior, tough guy who's cruel and stuff. And, you know, actually guts as a boy getting raped, you know. Sure. It's, you know, like, you know, it's a pretty delicate subject matter. And, uh, you know, I don't think like to me, it's uh, uh, quite, you know, ballsy of Mira to do that, like to put that in a series like that. But we can talk about it. Yeah. Go on with volume four. I just no, want no, when to I, say when that. I said, when I said volume four, I'm not. Swiping the rape aside, it, it happens. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, it's just that's where it happens. So sure. just to move on to that, you know, I, I think I find it quite ballsy for Mura to actually put in a scene like that in a, a manga that's primary about action. You know, like you know I when still you see think that, I, yeah, even yeah. N- even disregarding the time period this was published in, even now 
to have that be a core fundamental part of your main character for your giant fantasy series, it's very, it's very brave, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, uh, this, you know, uh, dichotomies, you know, between the two, you know, like, you know, to have, you know, badass action scenes and stuff and that kind of subject matter, you know, you know, I think it can still be seen quite easily in the series. In, uh, you know, you, you get a lot of people who call themselves fans of the series, you know, who complain about things that mm-hmm. like we, you know, us guys, you know, we find great and we consider to be amazing and even sometimes the best part of the series, you know. But you'll have these guys saying, oh, fuck, you know, when are the, when are these side characters dying or where, when is guys just going to go back to killing apostles in the face, you know, with his cannon, <laughs> you know. That's the, the kind of things these guys get. And, you know, I think it's something that's very, you know, particular to Berserk, you know, because mm. of the way Mira chooses to, you know, like add death and scenes that are, you know, like very delicate, you know, topics or very complicated topics to a series that's primarily about action and, you know, big swords and stuff like that. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, you bring up a good point and I wanted to kind of elaborate. That's one of the first things I wanted to mention. Aside from all the action we see happen before, you know, it actually goes down. Uh, why do you think Mira chose this scene? He didn't have to have this happen to this character. Why did he, why did this happen? Why did he even write Donovan into the series? Well, well, go ahead, Griff. Well, well, first I was just gonna, I had a thought about what you said about it being a cliffhanger in the last volume or, you know, episode if you were reading it that way. Is that probably at the beginning of this one, you know, as you're watching it happen, you're thinking it's not going to. That he's gonna, you know, he's somehow gonna, you know, get to his sword and kill the guy or break free. And it, it looks like that for a while. Like yeah. There are moments where he looks like Just he's struggling. Gonna, yeah, where he's struggling and he's reaching for his sword. And, you know, typically he would be successful and, you know, and this wouldn't happen. So the fact that it does, I think, you know, part of it is, you know, to add depth to the character, to add sympathy. And you can, you know, you can look at that different ways. Some people could, you know, think like it's exploitative or something you know and other people could take it more as just you know it's a it's an interesting twist for a character and a you know a daring one for you know like yeah you know fantasy like we're to action fantasy you know heroic character it you know it humanizes them but also humanizes and normalizes that you know this happens to people that it's a real issue you know that it's like it's something that he's not shying away from in here and also this world you know it helps ground it and make it you know a lot more realistic, you know, starkly real. Yeah. Any, anybody who called this scene exploitative or egregious, I think is just completely missing the point because this is underscoring a, a key character trait. Yeah, because there's Gus, the thing, he, the thing that wouldn't be that way is there's nothing like exploitative in the sense that, you know, um, they're trying to, you know, use it for sympathy for the character because there's nothing, oh, okay. but it's not exploitative in the sense well, that it's like there's anything appealing about it. It's actually a huge sort of, hurdle for getting anyone into this <laughs> like you know yeah. It's like, oh yeah. yeah but i mean, yeah, it's so I mean that, that's what i meant by someone calling it exploitative potentially just for like sympathy factor the thing is you know like you know at the time this scene also serves to explain you know like you know in the black souls monarch you see guts he hates to be touched you know right. by puck yeah. by vargas yeah. you know like this scene already at that point serves to explain that you know so already you know, in the plans 
Yeah, so the thing is, you know, uh, I think it's not something you, you can't tell. Like somebody couldn't just say, oh, yeah, he just put that up. He came up with that, uh, like, you know, just on a whim you know, and put it in to make, you know, to create sympathy for the character. I think, like you said, you know. Yeah, you could probably you know, also count on, I mean, the more important and bigger issues, is you can count on one hand how many, you know, heroic fantasy kind of characters like this are victims of something like this. Yeah, yeah, you know, indeed. And Maybe you count it on one finger. I mean, I can't think of another example. I'm sure there yeah. is one. Actually, yeah, that's, that's probably the only example, you know, or at least of a character that's shown to be, to become like such a strong and, and you know, badass and extraordinary guy who's yeah. pretty much unstoppable. unstoppable. But uh, yeah, he actually gets, I think like what I said, it, it gets to show, it goes to show how in dark the war can be and how real, you know, like even a kid like that, even, you know, such a thing, like you said, you know, when you see the scene, you keep thinking like, He'll get out of it. He'll manage to get, and and he doesn't. You know, like he gets raped, and uh, and that's that's uh, the, the end of it. Well, I mean, even even aside the whole, of course, he doesn't like being touched because that's a direct uh, connection to what happened to him. It's it also just distances him from people, you know, and we see that effect on mm-hmm. him throughout the series. Really, he's mistrustful of people, mistrustful of getting close to anyone. And this is one of the biggest things that happens in his life that, that results in that. So, of course, you know, and even beyond that, as you touched on, it, it deepens the barriers Guts has to even being a, an actual decent person, you know, a human being. But, of course, he, he's able to overcome that. But we're we're far away from that, you know, really. Well, yeah, this point. there's another thing I want to mention is that uh, as Gambino, you know, uh, gets to raping him, he also tells him that Whoa. Gambino... Donovan. Yeah. What did I say? Gambino? He said Gambino, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry. So Donovan is about to rape him. He also tells him that uh, Gambino sold him to to him, you know. So, and and that's, you know, like, I, I think to Guts, it's an almost bigger betrayal. Like, it's an, Oh, totally, yeah. It's, it's as big of a deal as a rape, you know, as a rape itself, you know, because, you know, he actually, he's very eager, you know, what we see it, you know, on the, on the panels after, but he, the first thing he does in his, you know, ask Gambino, you know, like, he's ready, he's got a sword in his hand, you know, yeah. he's ready for, for vengeance, you know, and Gambino just pretends like, oh, what's up, just, you know, make the breakfast and go feed the horses and, uh, just fuck off, you know, and so Guts gets to think that Gambino actually doesn't know and Donovan lied. Right, and what's interesting to me is, as you said, Guts doesn't fetch his sword, and go to Gambino's, or sorry, Donovan's tent. He goes straight to Gambino, ready to go, ready to like, you know, throw down for this betrayal. And then there's this moment where he has a ray of hope, like, oh, maybe he didn't know about it. Maybe he was lying, you know. Oh, it's just, just, it's heart wrenching because there's this panel where Gambino looks at him over his shoulder, like, yeah, that was pretty fucked up <laughs> that I just did that, you know. And, uh, anyway, the guts takes out Donovan in the next few scene, next few pages. What I wanted to note is that there's no hesitation, there's no remorse, there's no fear in it. He just does it. He plots it out. He makes it happen where no one would see. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a cold-blooded oh, thing. It's not like a, yeah. oh, should I do this? You know, it's just, it's not in the it, heat you know. of the battle or anything like that. He's not, you know, right. actually fighting him. It's an assassination. And yeah, totally. well, before that, what's interesting to me is the when he smashes the barrel with his sword, it's the first time you sort of see, like, you know, him in a rage, you know, yeah, you know, acting out like that, you know, the first time we see Guts, you know, that, you know, actually acting out of anger, you know, and oh. not, you know, I, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. And, and then we see the, the cold-blooded uh, consequences of that. 
Yeah, the yeah. cold assassination, you know, from the back and just, you know, and uh, trying to get him to admit that uh, Gambino didn't say so, you know, so. Yeah, but, torturing and, him basically a little first. And it's reminiscent of, you know, what he does to uh, the Count. To the Count, yeah, Aaron. yeah, indeed. And uh, and the scene you we see, like, you know, uh, during what this takes place, you know, it's also interesting to me, like, going back to what we were saying earlier of Mura showing little things here and there, just in the background, and it adds depth to the story, you know. They act actually, you know, like the mercenaries attacking a convoy of defeated soldiers, you know. So mm. I just find <laughs> it interesting. Yeah, it's just, it's so much like the real world, you know, like, you know, where they'll just prey on people who are beaten and just, you know, like, almost like brigands, you know, like, you know, yeah. bandits. And, uh, yeah, it's interesting, you know, it's interesting. It's just a, a shot here. It, it's just there to, you know, it just takes place so that Guts can kill, you know, Donovan. That's just the point of it. But it just in the background, it makes the world feel so, so, so much larger, you know, because of well, it, it, like this, you know. It makes the world more vicious. It's a defeated yeah. army. And they're like the, the bloody fist of some larger force that's going to take out this already wounded army, you know. It's just like brutal anyway. Yeah. Um, I like the shot where Donovan realizes who it is that shot him. There's this like full shot of Guts on the horse and the zoom in or the cut to Guts cold face, you know, and then he realizes what, what just happened and then got stabbed in the mouth. What's incredible to me is that Donovan is almost like, you know, resentful. And you know, when yeah. he sees Guts before that, he's, you know, sneering at him. He's, you know, it's, it feels like he really didn't expect Guts would do anything about it. And yeah. he's really su surprised and almost hurt that he would actually do that to him, you know. So it goes to show what the mores of the time were, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Um, during the same fight, I'm assuming, yeah, it is the same fight. The Gambino, uh, uh, a cannon goes off and, People are taken out. No, I don't think. I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's the same uh, battle. You it's know, not. because no, nah, because you know, well, not to me, because you know, they were attacking a convoy, and uh, oh, then they're sieging right the walls. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just, and okay. we, so we see like the at the in the first panel, it shows like this sort of transition that he uses in the other time. Yeah, transitions. So it's it's like you know it's not a big time gap you know it might be you know I don't know weeks or months but not years okay. but uh, yeah it's not the same the same battle. It doesn't really matter. I just wanted to point out that you know during this game you know gets his leg blown off and and on the operating table, Guts has these thoughts about him and, and what he means what Gambino means to him despite all the horrible things that have happened to him and during this scene uh, Gambino actually calls out to Shis despite everything despite the fact that. He'd had other women, you know. She's the one that he calls out to. She's the one that he remembers. He he was in love with her. He wasn't just another woman to him. And I think that's important to not just guts, but the reader as well, sort of to understanding Gambino. Um, it kind of humanizes him. He, he wasn't a hundred percent a lout, you know. He, yeah. he really was a guy that had genuine feelings, despite his context. Uh, the fact that his life was just a like you said, a brigand. You know, he did have genuine feelings about people and what's interesting to me is he, he, he reaches out for Gut's hand and, and yeah, he's unconscious and probably in a fever from the, the all the pain and the, and, the, and the infection or whatever. But, you know, it's Guts that he holds on to and yeah. she, he is sort of his connection to she's still, you know, so. Yeah, of course. And it's also what's interesting is how it hurts Guts in the sense that, you know, I mean, he, see, he recognizes that, you know, this isn't like him, you know, it's like seeing yeah. that, you know, that old bastard, you know, suddenly – being so nice and kind because you know his time is up and you know it breaks Scott's heart you know to see yeah. that like it's over for him. Yeah, 
And the, you know, the mercenary band, they're just talking about, like, oh, we need a new leader, you know? <laughs> it's like they're yeah. moving. Yeah. <laughs> why, why, I think, yeah, yeah, this kind of stuff shows that, like, you know, what kind of environment, you know, they lived in. It all, it can also explain Gambino's, you know, character, his personality to some extent, you know, like, these are guys, you know, he's their leader. If he gets killed, you know, they'll get a new leader. And, you know, probably if he's too soft or something like that, he might get killed by some guy who wants to take up the position. So it's also a, a harsh life, you know. So I think it's, you know, it, it gets to show that, you know, like if Gus hadn't been there, you know, afterwards to, you know, feed Gambino, what would he have done, you know? Like yeah. just living at the camp, you know, unable to do anything. The others might have just left him to die or humiliated him or stuff like that, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the next fight, actually, you know, we see Guts has kind of gained a little uh, more prowess on the battlefield, takes down a commander or a general, whatever. Yeah, uh, two rushes years later. To Gambino. Yeah, right, sorry, two years later, he's 11 now. Rushes to Gambino with his money, you know, and Gambino just basically straight off the bat hits him for not getting, you know, food for the dog. So and every, <laughs> the, dog. the thing is... Every everyone sees him do this, you know. Everyone in the camp turns whenever he gets gets hit in the face. Like, oh man, Gambino sure is an asshole. And, and, and you know, I'll flash forward a little bit. Just just fifteen pages later, they're like, oh, he killed Gambino. How could he? You know, come on, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, you know, the thing the thing that I want you to point out is that the dog he calls the dog after you know, uh, you know, Shiz. You know, he he calls it the same name. Does he really? I don't. I'll mention. I don't remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm pretty sure he knows the dog is named, you know, after, you know, his huh. former, you know, you know, girlfriend or whatever. I'm, I'm looking at the dark horse thing. They might have just missed a panel or something like that. They don't it have might that. not. It might not be in that scene, but okay. uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure of it. Cool. Well, uh, so Gambino has this kind of reputation among the people. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> the two guys they choose to represent the remaining band here are like, <laughs> not tall Neanderthal-looking guy and the short, total weasel-looking guy. Fantastic! Just well done, Mira. Fucking a. These guys look <laughs> horrifying. And uh, you know, these, these are the might guys be the that... same two guys that were saying <laughs> that guts was cursed. You know, like eleven years earlier. <laughs> like you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, just now they the ravages of time. You know. Gambino still looks like he's in pretty good shape, actually. But uh, oh, about the dog, they do have the scene later, the dream where the dog's head is Shish's head. Yeah, yeah, there is that. Like, uh, I don't know if uh, I'm just rem- I'm just trying to remember if like he says that her name is Shish or if we're just remembering that. Yeah, maybe not. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure he does. But uh, okay, I don't even care. I don't even. Care. <laughs> you just want <laughs> so. Uh, Sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to rush through the scene. This is an important scene. I, I keep looking at what's to go, but anyway, um, Gambino turns on on the on the guys, basically points his sword at them, threatening them. And, and the fact that this was interesting to me is the fact that they don't even like bother to you know retort to him. Even that frustrates him because he's looking for a way to put this. Somewhere he's looking for violence. a fight. Yeah, he's looking yeah. for a fight, and, and he gets denied it basically out of pity, you know, and, and even yeah. that infuriates him more. Yeah, he, he he's just, at, at that point, I think, you know, it's worth mentioning, he's just a drunk, and uh, I think he's just right. waiting to die, you know. Totally, totally. And, you know, Guts puts his sword in, in the, the, the tent <laughs> pole out of yeah, frustration. He, he just breaks everything in, the, in his tent. Right. There's some lazy dialogue on this scene. I, I had to mention it. I felt even for me, it was pretty lazy dialogue, but it, it just got says, I should stop thinking about it and I should think about killing more enemies tomorrow. He, he tries to put it behind his mind. 
I don't know. I thought it was pretty weak for the scene, given everything else that's happened, but I don't want to focus on that. The next scene, Gambino comes to Guts in the tent, looking like a demon, basically. The lighting really helps this scene as well because there's a thunderstorm outside, so all the uh, lighting is sharp. Yeah, I wanted to, you know, I, I don't really agree with what you, you know, said I didn't, about I didn't think you would. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, I think it shows, it goes to show what Guts, you know, what his life is like at that point. Like, you know, what his goals in life are, which is, you know, not much. Like everything his life is, is just, you know, kill people, get money, yeah. you know. Like he, he just knows that, you know, as a mercenary, all he wants to do is that. And I think, you know, it shows some kind of resignation for him. It's what he's always known, you know, and, uh, he just resignated for it, even though he, you know, can't endure it and it drives him crazy, you know. All, all he's doing is just, you know, yeah, I'll just kill more people, more and more people and make more money and that's it, you know. And I think, I think it's pretty sad, you know. But uh, yeah, it goes to show right. like whole little he had to look up to in life. Like that's that's all he has to look for in life is just killing people and making money. He has no other horizons than this. So I, I think so. Part of me is like, yeah, that's that's a, that is a, a really fascinating reading on the scene. To me, it's just like there has to be more to this character than that, you know. And that, that's what bothers me about the dialogue there is that that's all he's thinking about. But of course, that is his life. Of course. Yeah, and like, and know? I think it, it's actually important in defining his character because you know he has no dream, he has nothing. Yeah. You know when when so. you put it, you know, like you know, how to say when you put it in parallel to Griffiths, for example, you know, like at the yeah, same age, so small. But, yeah, and you know yeah. the, the thing is, guts had nothing to look forward to. You know, like right. his life, all he knew was to kill. He was just you know you know a mercenary. He had no other you know outlook. So, and I think it's a part of his character, you know, like that his childhood was like that. And, uh, so that's why I think it's important and not, you know, I can't just dismiss it, you know, like you, like, yeah, like you do, especially since Guts is also thinking about like, in that scene, he's also thinking about just leaving, you know, but, you know, how to say, he's not thinking of self-preservation. He's not think, think, thinking of his life. He just wants to kill people, make enemies. And if he dies, that's it. He dies, but he's not thinking right. about self-preservation or what his life will be in the future. He's just, you know, living, you know, a day-to-day life. And, and really, all he all he has in this life is Gambino. You know, even yeah. in combat at this point, you know, we don't see him reveling in it necessarily. He just does it because he gets to give Gambino a yeah. bit of happiness. You know, he says, "Here's Gambino. Here's some money. You can buy lots of wine and women with that." Because that's all he cares about is making his, basically yeah. his dad happy. Yeah. You know, in this yeah. next scene. Gambino turns that all around, forcefully turns that all around on him, forces Guts to kill him. We're going to get to that, of course. But I like how Gambino confronts him like like he's finally doing something he's wanted to do. What have you got against me, huh? He says to, his, his, to Guts, <laughs> which is just so – it's so absurd. Uh, of course, he's drunk and uh, a broken human being at this point. I think Gambino would have made an excellent apostle at this point. Oh, well. yeah. He looks so, like you – know. his face like when he's – uh when he's like scrunching him, he looks like Zod in some of these shots. Like where he just looks like <laughs> yeah. sort of the monstrously exaggerated brow and features, you know, like especially like the scene where he's slicing the tent open. Right. <laughs> it's just funny. Yeah, he does look quite uh, monstrous. The face he, of madness. Oh yeah, I love the <laughs> yeah. I love the the lightning strikes after the giant, you know, one page scene, and it's just the the look on his face is pretty frightening. <laughs> what his intentions are there, anyway. Um, Guts became basically an excuse for Gambino's life, the way it ended the way it did. And, and that's, of course, he goes straight for that, saying that you were the ill omen that brought all this down on me, you know. 
He's basically exposing himself as just a, as a weak human being. He couldn't deal with what life gave him, and so he strikes out at the first thing he has that yeah. you know, he blames for, which is this small child that even he helped sort of, you know, scar. And so. he guts is, you know, hurt pretty bad, you know, by what he tells him, you know, when he tells yeah. him he should have died, you know, that kind of stuff. You see guts, you know, like holding the tent, you know, and yeah. if he's as if he has almost like a panic attack, you know, he's like, you know, you know, holding this, you know, you know, gasping for breath, like there's, you know, a shot, you see just him in a sea of darkness. You know, I yeah. think it goes to show how, you know, bad it was. And Gambino oh. tries to kill him then, you know. I also think it's interesting the shot of Gambino's face shrouded in darkness with just the smile and the one eye. He mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, he could be anyone there, but he kind of resembles Donovan in a way in that moment, which is interesting since they're talking about him. Yeah. You know, what happened right then. And that's also yeah, the moment when Guts, you know, kills him essentially. Yeah. He got, Gambino confirming it is just. Yeah. Three, you know. three silver coins, you know, also, you know, like, you know, it's just really <laughs> not much. Right. Why? Because I was sick of you. That's why. And Guts' face as he makes the the strike is just heartbreaking. You're, you're right. You're, I see the one the one eye panel. I didn't notice that before. It says, "Asks why?" As he stabs Gambino in the face. Yeah. And how quickly his former allies, who he was fighting alongside, <laughs> not Gambino, who was sitting on a chair. Yeah, you know, you, you, you raise a good point. Like Gambino sitting on his ass for two years, he probably wouldn't have the cachet like that he used to, right. you know, hitting one of their best guys. But what really <laughs> happens, though, is Guts slashes They're old school guys. guys. I mean, yeah. Guts turns it around by slashing the gut. That changes everything. But yeah, I, I was just yeah, kind of then he's just uh, He just looks like a maniac at that of point. Of course. Yeah, but I was just kind of, I mean, it, it was just a, kind of a funny aside that Gambino wasn't the one helping them out. Guts was the one that was yeah. you know, fighting along with them, but they're the ones, you know, anyway, he turns, they, they turn on him and Guts has to make a forced you know, flight. Yeah. I also think it's interesting. I want to say that the last thing Gambino tells him is that he killed his, you know, mother, you know. Right. Yeah. I it's didn't think pretty, about, I, I, I skipped past that page for some reason. Yeah. I see. I find it, you know, like, you know, along the fact that Gus probably wasn't really trying to kill Gambino, you know, it's more like him yeah. paying himself on the sword, you know. I think it makes for a pretty tragic death, you know. Yeah. Self def- it's utter, utter self-defense. If this were a court, yeah. this would be thrown right out. <laughs> anyway, uh, Gus is uh, retreating, gets st- shot in the back. They, uh, they assume he's dead, but they wanted to confirm the kill, but they can't. He falls down into this ravine. Yeah. And there's this weird scene, guys. This... It has a kind of a supernatural air to it, although there's no evidence of that. It's just what he says. It's not like it feels like it's not even my own body, and he couldn't move for a time after he fell. And there's a two-page full shot of the moon. We haven't had too many two-page spreads in a while. It's very uh, strong imagery happening here with the moon. Guts focusing on the moon, and I was wondering about this. I don't have a clear understanding of why Mira chose to do this, other than to show that Guts was alone. And he's considering his place in the world now. Even that's reading too much into it. There's nothing here on the page to read into, really. It's a weird scene. It sticks out to me. What did you guys think? No, uh, I think well, it's just, I, I, mean, think... At, I think that's a good reading, but it's also you okay. know atmosphere. Yeah, totally. I mean, but what, but do you, you're do getting you think, that from it. Do you get a sense of like a supernatural? No. Thing happening here? No? Okay. Honestly, no. I just think it's uh, like he fell from the cliff and somehow he didn't die and he's got, he's numb because of the cold and, you know, the wound. And he's just lying there and just, you know, there's this huge sky, you know, with the stars and in the full moon and he's just like, 
he's, you know, I don't know. I think like Griff said, it's more like, you know, atmosphere. It's not like your reading is not, is not, you know, bad, but yeah, yeah it's just, you know, the mood, you know, setting and the I, mood and the atmosphere. I wouldn't say supernatural, but just sort of like the world is, is opened up here. It's a very sort of majestic, like, you know, wow. Yeah. Like, you know, like if you were like admiring, you know, the grandness of nature, you know, staring up at the, you know, a starry sky or the Grand Canyon or something. And, you know, and it's also, oh. it's very spacey in the sense that Guts yeah. is, you know, you see him laying there in the water with the stars reflecting off it. And it looks you know, sort of like he's floating in space, you know, it's sort of, sort yeah. of it does create this weird, like, sensation, you know, and it I sort of, you know, when, shows you know, his place in the universe. And it's almost symbolic, actually, you know, because he's just, you know, like, left the people yeah. he's been living with all his life. And now the world truly opens up to him, you know, like he goes on and ventures forth in the world. So I think it's a, it's also a very symbolic shot in that regard. Yeah, sure. Also, Guts mentioned something after he leaves the Falcons that it's been a long time since he had a night under the stars alone. And, and here's his first night under the stars alone since he left yeah. his, his group. Yeah. So it, it makes some sense. I get, I'm glad yeah. I talked that out because it's a lot more understanding. And, and, and I think when Guts says so, it's a direct reference to that night. Yeah, you're probably right. I think you're right. Uh, some wolves come across him and what's interesting to me is his change in attitude is, you know, he would kind of resign himself to his fate until the last moment when he puts his sword out and the, the, the wolf happens. To die. He's actually kind of surprised by it. And then, uh, and then he fights. What's interesting to me is that he still had a will to live. You know, he still wasn't going to sit down and die just yet, you know, fights his way to yeah. safety. And also he puts all his emotional anguish into this fight. It sort of reminded me of, after the eclipse, you had the same kind of like uh, just battling overwhelming uh, creatures, yeah. you know, while he's in a rage, basically, you know. Yeah, and I think it goes to show, like, you know, like you said, you know, not, not you know, earlier in the night when he was, you know, just thinking about, you know, Gambino and such, he was just like, you know, not thinking about his life, not even thinking about, you know, you know, surviving or self-preservation but you know when it comes down to it you know and some things that you know resonates for his character throughout the whole series you know like even during the hundred you know man fight you know like he has no reason to live but just the will to survive is enough you know like he will fight and he'll survive you know even though right. he himself doesn't really know why four years pass and Guts is now 15 and we have this assault on a castle uh, that Guts is a, a part of, we have a kind of a Guts reveal at first. He's not, he's not how we are introduced to this scene, you know, which is interesting to me. He's just, he's just one of the mercenary. Wait a minute. What about the shot where he's staring up at the, the bird in the sky and, you know, the, <laughs> the cannon? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah>. Long version. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We see, uh, Bazuzo. It's a, and- it's a, it's a hawk. <laughs> and his, uh, Dark Souls inspired armor. What a ripoff. And, uh, Guts, uh, I like, I like Guts character design here. The scarf and the helmet and all, all the things I, I really like visually. I think are very cool looking still and, and kind of heroic too. He has, he has kind of a cape good thing going on. It sort of reminds us yeah. of him in the Black Swordsman days. This is a shot with a long sword on his back. Not quite it's the also, Slayer. It's also know. close to, uh, the coat that Isidro wears, you know, much later on oh, in the yeah. series. Oh yeah. Right. Uh, it's a similar style. And, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty cool style overall. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I also like, like you, like you said, you know, I, I like how we introduced to, like, there's a battle and there's this Bazuso who's, like, the big guy. 
And uh, we're only interested to Gus because he's the only one who's willing to, you know, fight the big guy. I think it's a, it's an interesting way to introduce, you know, uh, the scene and the characters. And Gus is now finally confident and physically able to enough to carry the kind of sword he probably wanted to be using, you know, a sword larger than others. And so, and he's just he's thing. just fifteen at the time, right? Fifteen, yeah. Or it's just because love, that's what he grew up on. Now he he has to, he's probably yeah. like, oh, I'm so used to big swords, it's so hard to find these. He probably has to pay extra. Right. They could, <laughs> they could, Mira could have done like a whole like thing where you know the trouble he has finding his sword, <laughs> which would have been a funny aside, but you know that would have been good. not appropriate. I love him haggling over the bounty for Bazuzo. This is just like a little one page exchange, you know. It, is a 15 year old kid, uh, you know, talking about haggling over the price of the head of this super imposing, <laughs> heavily armored guy right in front of him. You know, there's a bit of comedy in that, that we didn't get before this point in the series. Yeah. But that being said, even though it's a, it's a bit of a comedic moment, it also goes to show like his mindset at the time. Like he's a mercenary. He sure. does it for money. He'll do anything for money pretty much. Yeah. That's the, the foundation of the scene for sure. And, uh, you know, his speed and his ability with the sword impresses everybody there. I remember, um, this is a really quick aside. Please bear with me. When I was introducing the series to my friends when I was really young, I was like 18 or 19, uh, I showed them the anime and there was one guy I knew. This is the kind of the guy that went to like Renaissance fairs and stuff. And he, I remember, I remember, I don't know why I remember this stupid thing he said. He said, you know, Guts, there's nothing special about Guts. You know, anybody with a sword could beat Guts. All he does is hit them with this big sword. It'd be so easy to kill a guy with a big sword. Like, what they don't realize is that it's not that Guts just has a big sword and he can swing it. He can swing it quickly and can, he knows how the sword works, and, you know, uh, in relation to his momentum and things like that. That's what surprises people when he fights them, when, is that they're not able uh, to, to use that kind of sword that well. I think it's what Why, yeah, and the thing is, like, he's got, uh, you know, he's he's got a, he's very skillful, you know, he's got a lot of, of technique, you know, like because it's a manga, you don't get to see like it's one shot panels, but you know, when you, you know, if you pay attention, sometimes Mira actually shows, you know, the moves and yeah, these are, you know, he's not just you know hitting people if you saw like you know someone would with a stick, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, at least that's not who it's supposed to be, you know, well, you I, know I mean, that's just one of those really... things that people say to where it's just like oh sure. thank you mr sword expert i mean i'm sure you fought in many great <laughs> battles you know yeah of course yeah that you is, know it's is... one of these things where if you took renfair guy and put him against a page of berserk <laughs> with guts on it this would be the real life fight i would still bet on the page of berserk to win <laughs> so yeah <laughs> well you know they hired a renaissance fair swordsman for that movie version you know that sword expert yeah well you know i'm not sure i i actually wonder it might have been that guy, guy. <laughs> it might have been that guy. So we have this. You know what's interesting about this fight is it's not again. It's not that he mindlessly strikes. You know, Bazuzo. He actually has an idea. He, he intentionally hits the axe, splits the axe, and on the follow up strike lets the axe hit him while he makes his strike. You know, it's well, interesting he, the way he thinks it out through. He starts by overwhelming Bazuzo. You know, by striking him really quickly and putting him in a, a disadvantage because Bazuzo has he fights with a big axe and he's fully armored and he's got more strength more likely so you know Gus actually you know gets the initiative by overwhelming him and already uh, you know just from that point of view it's a you know it's a smart you know uh, tactical choice you know like you know he's surprising him and putting him at at a disadvantage right it's also interesting is that you know we sort of I mean you look back on him as you know Bansu was destined to lose 
but he's not like he's not like a loser or anything because I mean he I mean he actually you know he was a challenge. Guts had to you know come up with this plan, and you know it was still close. You know, and he admits that to Griffith. Like, yeah, I could have, I probably I probably should have died there. You know, but I was lucky. Yeah. So, yeah. He actually, he actually takes up the challenge, but yeah, again, it's not like he's thinking about you know saving his life. He's not thinking of self-preservation. It's a yeah. recurring theme, you know, for the character is that. But it's also even to him, it's not like you know he knows like secretly I'm way better and this is going to be no challenge. I mean, he is putting his life you know on the yeah. line. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and he actually had a, a very good chance of dying. You know, like I'm, I'm not even sure he actually had a plan to split the axe. You know, like he just, you know, he overwhelmed Bazuso, and when you know the guys struck, you know, he struck the axe back, and it's just, you know, something that happened. You know, but you know, it's almost like he just, you know, goes with the flow as the battle moves on. You know, right? Brains Bazuso. And then we have a single eye silhouette shot. It's uh, iconic of Guts before he does that, which is interesting. And then uh, I have this nice heroic shot of Guts. Uh, yeah. The battle was over. I don't know why I'm talking through this. Um, we see in this shot, in this, in this fight that, you know, the Falcons were there as well, kind of overlooking it. And I mentioned this on the Griffith podcast as well, but it's interesting that this is how we're introduced to this character for this part is overlooking the battlefield, not necessarily involved himself. But kind of commanding over it. We also don't see his face. It's all shaded by the helmet. The helmet is what we first see of the character, who, of course, we know is Femto. It becomes Femto. So I just thought that was a neat choice to introduce Griffith to us as, as, as basically Femto, you know, without any, you know, uh, faking who it might become. Yeah, even though we had, you know, already seen the character in the little flashback earlier, you know, uh, in Volume 3. Right, right, right. That's, that's what I mean. So we have this scene where Guts, after the fight, collects his money, but, you know, the guy tries to basically invite him to a bigger life, a different life than the one he had been on, and he rejects it without even really considering it. Yeah, now, why, is it, I, why it's ahead. a big opportunity for him? Like, it's not – it's something – it's a tremendous opportunity for, like, any other person would, you know – Take, take it up, you know, like, take up the offer, but Gus just, you know, doesn't give a shit. I think it's, a, again, pretty, you know, like, it shows – you know, how his character at that point is thinking and living and, you know, yeah. what things mean to him. He's just waiting for that. I mean, he's not intentionally doing it, but along this path, he wouldn't have lasted long. You know, he's basically just basically looking for the fight that's going to end him. That's that's the next step for this character along this path. It's just his death on the battlefield, and that yeah. nameless death. And so, you know, I, I wondered to myself, like, what what does it that keeps him – moving on what is his motivation and it is basically the motivation he's had his whole life is just you know be a mercenary and i wonder about why he doesn't think about doing something better i wonder if he kind of developed a mistrust of nobles or or even of that kind of lifestyle of settling down you know because he he grew up nomadic you know his whole troop moved from place to place maybe settling down to him is just like a you know not even on the table as a consideration well, yeah i think honestly at that point he mistrusts everybody like, sure. you know, and he, since he never knew anything other than the life he has now, well, he just, you know, I think at that point, you know, like, I mean, he's just 15. He, he hasn't really considered it. Like, you know, right. not, not much other than, you know, than that, you know, like, you know, we, we are, of course, you know, we, there's a missing part, you know, that we get to see much later on in the series, you know, that we saw yeah. recently with Chich. And, uh, but, you know, it doesn't change anything to the fact, like, 
he he's shown that he can't trust people, you know, like mercenaries, you know, there are people who think of themselves and that's about it. And, uh, you know, at that point before, you know, meeting the band of the Falcon, he, he doesn't have any example of, let's say, good people in his life. Yeah. So Guts leaves the mercenary camp and uh, is spotted by Carcass's men. They ask him Griffith if he can go after them and he just basically tells them to do what they want. Or to do as they will, which is the line we see later on in the series as well. Yeah. To One me, thing it's, I've, go ahead. Yeah. That was just, to me, it's coincidental, but it's, it's a neat recurring thing. One thing I find interesting is that, you know, like, even though the band of the Falcon is supposed to be, you know, like, you know, higher, you know, more nobles than, you know, uh, the average mercenaries, like, they are still acting like brigands, you know, like, you know, bandits, you know. Carcass is essentially like being a, a highway man, you know, here yeah. with his guys. So You're right. I, I find that interesting. And Griffith doesn't really, he doesn't care. Well, at this point, you know, this is the early years, you know, probably trying to do as much as they can to gain money and, and equipment, mm-hmm. you have to imagine, than they are later on when they're actually able to take on larger forces and things like that. So probably, a, you're right, a little more scrappy than they eventually became. But you're right, their reputation, as Guts says once he's ultimately among them, is that it's they're a little, you know, they're renowned at least. Anyway, yeah. what's funny to me about Carcass is that he's so willing to take him on, but as soon as his friends start falling, he, you know, retreats. Yeah. Uh, he's my, it's my kind of guy. Well, you know, he, you know, he, he was a coward, and that's uh, that's not not a secret. <laughs> but yeah, we introduced to him as being a coward, you know, yeah. and you know, and kind of a weasel, you know. Yeah, for sure. Like you see, you know, how to say, you see, you know, Griffith not caring. Yeah. And and Casca, you know, are trying telling him that he won't be able to to kill the guy, but you know, he's just you know, he's just cocky and just trying to go for it anyway. What's interesting to me as well is that, is that Casca, it also shows that she's able to size up the situation quicker than him, you know? She knows he won't be able to take on Guts because of what she saw in the battle, you know? Yeah. So it's because of some intelligence or uh, some sense of her intelligence as well. So then Griffith interjects and tells her that she needs to go in and he compels her with just a look, you know, this eye that we, we have seen before in volume three. Yeah, one thing we didn't uh, comment on is that uh, Judo also, you know, like, he also knows that Caucus is getting in trouble. And mm-hmm. he he himself, you know, asked Griffith if, if it's okay to leave it like that. And uh, we see a shot, I, I find it pretty interesting, a shot of Griffith's helmet, you know, yeah. without comments. And I think it's also, you know, already at that point, you know, how to say, it's kind of ominous, you know, mm-hmm. like that shot of the helmet and no re- no response, you know. Well, yeah, even, even aside from all that, but even for the reader, they know what that symbol is, you know? Yeah. Anyway, uh, Casca intervenes and she puts up a little bit more of a fight, but he's able to disengage her, take her off a horse pretty, pretty easily. He responds to her being a woman, but it doesn't stop him, you know? He's ready to do it. And then Griffith throws a spear. What's so fascinating to me about this is how quickly and easily Mira establishes Griffith's skill because he takes guts out with one movement and it's a, it's both a deflection and a attack. You know, he parries and reposts basically. Commonly called a counter attack. <laughs> yeah, of course it's a counter attack. He, he blocks it with, with one hand, guts two handed strike with one hand, uses the weight of that to push him aside and then has a well, counter attack. He's also on a horseback, which uh, is a pretty big advantage, but sure. uh, it's a good yeah. Point. And he's older at that point. There's, there's many things. He's older, and uh, at that point, I think it might still make uh, make a difference. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, on horseback. But yeah, it's uh, his skill is established right away, like you said, because uh, he can just parry and just you know his repost just like he could have killed guts, you know, in just one strike. Right. And then guts, uh, you know, everyone claps Griffith on the back for that amazing feat. But you know, guts stands up; he's not re- ready to go down yet, even though there's a pool of blood under his arm. And yeah. just the shot of Guts looking up at Griffith on the horseback. We can't see Griffith's face still. It's still shrouded by the, the, the mask. And that shot of Guts looking up at him, you know, Guts down here, Griffith up there. It's like, is this, is this a flashback or is this still modern times at this point? You know, it's, yeah, it's still uh, a very resonant shot still. Yeah, it's extremely iconic and again, very symbolic, you know, of the struggles that still is the case nowadays. Like totally. you could transpose that shot, like in, you know, current times, you know, it could be in volume 40 and it would still be, you know, appropriate. So Absolutely. it's very iconic. And uh, Griffith removes his helmet and we see again this angelic man who you know, we got a, a, a glimpse at in the previous volume. So to me, that shot is still, who is this man? Because, you know, we've been introduced to him, but we still don't know quite what this weird, mysterious character is that uh, looks so angelic and yet falls so far. Yeah. That story is still yet to be told. Uh, this is dream sequence. I actually didn't write down much for the dream sequence, I don't think. But uh, we see the dog uh, transform into Shiz's head as yeah. uh, Griffith. Guts basically is establishing that Guts is still vulnerable to – having his higher power over him. He, yeah. He remembers Donovan because of that. Basically that he's not as free as he wants to be is, is the sense that I got from this, but he's still haunted uh, as, as the, is the takeaway basically. Yeah. He's haunted by, yeah, but you know, his previous life, you know, he's, you know, father, you know, the leg, you know, the, the fact he killed him, Donovan, even the mother, like I said, yeah, you know, about the dog is what, you know, it's what I was remembering. It was okay. you know, that scene. So, so Yeah. Cool. And then we transition into Casca on Guts, warming him after he'd lost blood. I wonder if this is something she has done before. It is a weird – it strikes me as weird uh, Yeah, well, thing. the thing is, you know, like I, I can understand, you know, like, you know, uh, I, I don't find it necessarily weird in the context. Mm-hmm. But what, you know, I find interesting is that it establishes Griffiths as being, you know, a rather sexist you know, uh, sure. it's a woman's, guy. woman's role. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, like, it's not like Casca's any woman. She's the second in command of the whole camp. Yeah. You know, yeah. like she's, she's a, a pretty big fucking deal. Like, you know, she's, he's, you know, right hand woman, but he still orders her to, you know, do that. I don't think something she would get to do, you know, in any other case. I think, you know, Griffith already considered Gus to be, you know, like he already had his eye on him at the time. Oh yeah. Because, of, because of what he saw him do and, he already wanted him, you know, he had big plans for him at that point. But yeah, that request, well, like that order, you know, to her, I, I find it, you know, it's, it's very, you know, sexist. And I think it kind of, you know, it's something that p- people don't, probably don't get to reflect on, you know, too often, but it does, you know, inform us on Griffith's character, you know, in general, which is, he's a nice guy and he's, you know, you know, almost, you know, more a humanist in some ways compared to some, you know, fiddle laws and stuff like that. But, I, I, you know, at the core, he's still, you know, in it for himself and for his own goals. And, you know, the others, no matter how close to him, well, they're just, you know, like, you know, they're good to be used for what he wants them to do. Right. Uh, th- throughout this whole sequence of scenes, to me, these serve as a basic character introductions. Not even that, just also name association scenes also. There's just a couple name shout outs. Here's Pippin, here's Judo, here's Cargos, you know, here's Castle, yeah. all these kind of things. Well, 
we're also yeah. getting a sense of the camp and, and how different it is. They're more a little more amiable and friendly to each other than yeah, maybe what course. guts have been used to. You know, they're a good a good atmosphere. Right. They're they're not they're not all here just for money. I think is the fundamental yeah. difference. And you they're know? they're all young and stuff. One thing about Casca and you know that scene where they are laying together, I wanted to address. Sure. It. Well, of course, it's a it's a very you know famous scene, and we've probably talked about it in previous podcasts, but. I think it establishes, you know, something very important about Gus and Casca, you know, like that scene where he says black eyes and he, he even in his, you know, like, you know, uh, feverish, you know, sleep, he doesn't want her to touch him, you know, but, you know, um, she still does. And, you know, he remembers that and that plays out, you know, later on, you know, when they're, you know, the two of them, you know, with the waterfall scene, I think, you know, already uh, this early on, you know, kind of, you know, like, you know, he sets you know, these things, you know? You know yeah, I mean? sure. It draws them together, even if it is a little of an awkward introduction for them. Yeah. They have still been that way. And, you know, that's touched on in a couple different times in the series, in Volume 7 when they're together, and also, of course, Volume yeah. 9 when they're ultimately together. But, yeah, of course, that, that's certainly kind of like the um, the the ground level of, of their relationship. That's how they were introduced to each other, essentially, aside from fighting, you know? Yeah. And it also establishes, you know, like her original distaste for him. Like, of course, you know, yeah. Even before he was favored by Griffiths, she was already, you know, pissed at him, you know, for that because of what she was forced to do. And it was a, a humiliation for her. Yeah. So she was already, you know, set against him. But, you know, like not in the way of Corcus where he wanted, you know, to, to have him killed, you know. Right. You're right. I didn't think about that before, but thinking about it purely from Casca's perspective, it, it must have been pretty horrifying. To, for her to have this person who you adore and basically worship told, tell you to do something you absolutely have no desire to do, you know? And, yeah. and, and then for her to do it, it shows de- her devotion basically as well. Well, it's also the, I mean, it's also the role of a soldier when you're in a, like, yeah. it's a military setting. So if he tells her to eat shit, she, she will, you know? I mean, the rating was that a thing, but, and yeah, and, and you know, early on, we already also get some insight to Judo's character in that he explains that to Guts, yeah. you know? Like, he could have just not given a shit, but he explains it to him so that he understands her reaction and, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I think it also, it establishes something about his character in that, He's not, you know, he's probably the, the one most, you know, looking out for others, you know, right. out of the whole camp, you know, he, he is, you know, like that. He probably knows the, the character relationships better than people in the camp. That's the sense that I've always gotten is that he yeah. knows the nuances to each person. You know, Judo, Judo says that Casca gave up on being a woman to become a mercenary. It's a joke. Yeah. Uh, Griffith admires Gut's sword and, and tells them though that he could never wield it, which I always thought was kind of a cute thing about the Dragon Slayer. But, um, Guts reflects on the fact that he, he recognizes the name of these people and uh, he knows kind of what their reputation is, that they're all he, – he was surprised that they're young given all that they apparently had accomplished before this time. Uh, you know, yeah. Griffiths, you know, I mean Rickert, you know. I, I like the fact that we are shown Rickert, you know, being some kind of bullied by, you know, Carcass, but already thinking, you know – like what everybody else is, you know, knows that, you know, Griff is going to ask Gus to join yeah. them, you know. <laughs> Everyone knows and except for Casca who's surprised by it, I guess. Or maybe she's yeah. – maybe she didn't know for sure but anyway. Um, and Pippin being the ever silent guy. You know? Right, yeah. <laughs> and that's why I meant my name name association with this scene is just – Coker just says, you're right, Pippin. And then it's just shot of Pippin, you know, ellipsis, so. 
Yeah. Just, just there to establish who these characters are, basically. Um, I don't have a lot to say about Griffith and Guts' exchange. I, I Honestly, it's because it's so well-worn territory for me. I, I have difficulty yeah. regurgitating talking about it because I feel like this is something everyone's intimately familiar with. So I'll just be very quick about it. What I found interesting was that Griffith isolates Guts' combat strategy very quickly and very easily, that he puts his life on the line, but also the knowledge that he put he's putting his life on the line makes him fight even harder. Is what kind of like is the core of how Guts fights, and if, it, it, you know Guts, it, it, Griffith nails it for Guts, and that even that causes yeah. him to think about this guy is really perceptive, you know. Yeah, and then it follows it that up with I want you, I want you, or essentially I want you to join my army. But of course, it's a joke about are you gay, you know, ha, ha, yeah. whatever. Well, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a fitting joke, you know. Sure, it's, so a, it's the, a valid question given his. You know, you know, it's a fitting joke, and I think you know it establishes that kind of how to say, you know, ambiguity, you know, with the character and his yeah. relationship, and just how much does he want, guys? I think you know it establishes that, and also dispels it early on, like you know, right, like you know, by Gus directly addressing it, saying like, "What, you know, are you homo?" You know, right. and it's like you know, like it just you know. Cuts to the chase and say, you know, like, okay, right, you know, this was in the air, and you know, it's, you know, there's that ambiguity, and you know, I've addressed it. It's all almost the, the way he panels it. It's even almost as if it's a, it's just for readers, you know, like if this is what you're thinking, no, <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, and you see Griffiths like, you know, with uh, some kind of how to say like Spectral that drop, thing, yeah, yeah that drop on his face, and you know, not not responding anyway. Uh, yeah, and there's that shot where he says, you know, like, I like you, I, yeah. I want to, you know, like, his angelic face, you know, I think it's pretty iconic. Yeah. Like, you know, to, I agree with what you said earlier, you know, I, there's many things to say about this scene, you know, Akaska, you know, listening from behind the tree, you know, and, you know, Gus refusing to join, you know, just, you know. He doesn't just refuse, which is also interesting is their demeanor, is Griffith's very polite, yeah. politely talking to him, even though he's basically, you know, he's almost compelling Guts to do the, these things, but he's doing it in a very polite, nice way. And Guts' yeah. retort is yelling and uh, argumentative and just – a scowl on his face. Obviously, these are two dramatically different people. You know, that's what is establishing uh, yeah. even and, apart and from all the visuals. What, what I find interesting is that, you know, though Griffiths is being very polite and calm and Guts is yelling and being aggressive – you know, the one that's actually reasonable is Guts, while Griffiths is being a bit, you know, out of place. I mean, yeah. Gus tells him, like, yeah, you stabbed me, now you want to be my friend, and, you know, I killed your man, and you're forgiving me, you know, like it's nothing. You know, he's saying things that are very reasonable, and just, you know, while Griffiths is pretty much just fixed on his objective, and, you know, like you said, compelling him to join, you know, and not really, you know, leaving a leaving him the choice, you know, like he's pretty much, you know, telling him like you will join and that's it, you know. Well, also it's like Griffith knew this was going to be the case, and so <laughs> yeah, it, it ultimately results in them sparring. Of course, uh, the clanging of swords on the hill draws everyone's attention to it, and everyone comes running, which I thought was a nice detail. Everyone's interested in the fate of their leader now fighting with this guy they just had put down, you know. Yeah, and, and I like the fact also, you know, that Griffith says pretty, you know, like he doesn't mind, you know, uh, using, you know, force to yeah. get what he wants, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think it also shows, it's uh, again an insight into his character, you know, like, you know, it shows how he is. He likes politely, but he doesn't mind taking it by force, you know, like he doesn't really, you know, it's nothing for him. 
Right. He's some, somewhat ruthless as well uh, in, in this. So you get a sense that he is a ruthless person. Anyway, in their fight, uh, of course, he hops on Guts' you know, sword during their battle and Guts uses his teeth, which is the first thing that surprises Griffith during yeah. the fight. He's able to push Guts or Griffith down the hill and punches him in the face. Yeah. We should see more of that these days. That'd be great. <laughs> <clears throat> um, you know. I like, you know, I like each shot during the fight. You know, I think again, you know, some of them are very dynamic. Like, not as much as, you know, some of what we saw before, but, you know, there's a shot, for example, of Griffiths, you know, uh, how to say, thrusting with a sword. Yeah. And you see, he has his hair in his face, you know, that kind of stuff. There are, you know, some, I, there are some really great shots in here for sure. Yeah, I always like these shots. And I like the fact that Mira's paying attention to his hair, you know, like, you know, showing it flowing and, you know, mm-hmm. depending on the movement, you know, like flowing up and back and down in his face, that kind of stuff, you know. I, I you know, I like these shots. Sure. It's again, you know, it shows, you know, the dynamism of, of the the drawing, you know. It's a small it's a small detail, but you're right that it, it, it showing his hair implies the motion of the action, you know. We're seeing yeah. the way his hair is going. It's a small detail, but Mir is thinking about these things as well. I feel bad because I'm looking at the details on the page and I'm looking at the Dark Horse Volume 4. It's the first edition of it. I don't, I don't say that to boast. I say that, that the page quality is terrible and then Griffith's hair mostly disappears on most of the panels. It's just yeah. the contrast is so blown out that you can't even see his hair in a lot of shots. It's terrible. Well, anyway, great. it's just a small thing. Uh, yeah, but you know it's worth addressing. You know sure. it's it's really too bad, and and I feel bad as well because you know like it's not like the French edition is any better, yeah. and I don't I don't own it for that reason. And the thing is, I really feel bad that you know there aren't any you know decent like edition outside of the Japanese one. You know. Yeah, I always go back to those whenever I'm looking for visual stuff. I, I never look at the Dark Horse ones because the page quality is usually just shit. But uh, again, this is kind of all an aside to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I only have two more notes on this section. Uh, the fact that Guth, Griffith's whole demeanor changes whenever he, uh, whenever Guts goes to punch him again, Griffith gets his look on his face before he puts him in the, the, the hold on the ground. Yeah. And then, you know, breaks his arm and then says, you belong to me with this look. Yeah. He this dislocates can, it. He doesn't break it. He I'm sorry. He dislocates it. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, because breaking his arm, you know, I mean. That would be stupid. In age, yeah. It's not like, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant, I meant dislocate. Anyway, he has this look on his face that it's, it's, he's smiling, but it's, it's a super serious, super compelling look on his face, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty cruel as well, you know. Yeah. I, it's the same kind of smile, you know, he would give, you know, force or something like that. It's a yeah. smile of somebody who is about to, you know. Be ensnared by a falcon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, but you know, we'll see who's the boss now. Yeah. Um, the only thing I wanted to say about the, the fight that they eventually get in is that Guts notices the difference in how they execute the attack and that how they're able to execute this elaborate plan is because they all have confidence in their leader. You know, he's giving, he's giving orders to each division of them. And that Gus is surprised that this is all working despite the fact that it's complex. And it's all because he's created this force that has very specific abilities and they all have confidence in their leader and they're willing to execute the plan without question, you know, which yeah. is interesting. That's, that basically gives you a hint at how the Hawks, Falcons are able to get so far is because of that. Uh, because of Griffith's, of course, charisma and his planning, of course. That's yeah. what I had written down. Well, I just wanted to add that 
quickly, you know, there's that scene where, you know, Casca, you know, helps Guts, you know, like, you know, you know, Jose, she stops Carcass and his oh, guys sure. yeah. from trying to attack. And I, I think it's, a, it's an important scene to, you know, how to say, establish the characters again, where it shows that, you know, they are all very afraid of her. Like, she's clearly superior to them, even though <laughs> she's just a small woman. Yeah, and when Guts, you know, uh, goes to sink her, you know, he just dismisses me, uh, like she dismisses dismisses it, you know, like you know, she even tells him to go die, you know, like it's not, you know, but she still does it, and and it establishes it, and then you see Guts sleeping with his sword, you know, right, and uh, it's a uh, it takes us back to when he was a kid, you know, it shows that he still has got that what um, says that habit, and then there's that shot, that double page of you know the forest, and the you see the castle, you know, the fortified town. And some camp, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a very detailed shot, you know, like you know from up and above, you know, and uh, you know it's one of these shots we we don't we don't see often shots from that angle and that high up, so I yeah. thought it was worth mentioning in that you know it's a it's a pretty cool shot I like it and yeah uh, it's it actually kind of serves as a map for the upcoming battle because you see yeah. You know, yeah, we, go, we see basically. everything. Yeah, we yeah. see like the path they'll take. They're going up the river, taking the camp, and then going back through the the road. You know, to where the cannons are. So it shows up. You know, everything yeah. that's being done. And uh, yeah, it's you know it's we a don't rare. It's a very rare shot. You're right about that. Yeah, yeah. So that. so yeah, I find it uh, quite interesting. And oh. yeah, then there's uh, everything about the you know the battle and the fact Gus is given uh, an important mission on the first battle, both important and very risky so right yeah <laughs> and why people it's a chance to prove himself as well uh, yeah you know, so weed him out <laughs> you know when some people you know like we see some soldiers thinking you know it's just a test or that Gus will be killed but you know Casca you know Casca doesn't think so right. she knows you know he does it because Griffiths knows Gus can pull it off you know that's a good point yeah so that's interesting because it shows that she understands, like, she has a lot of insight into, you know, Griffith's mind and his psychology and what he wants and does, you know, like, she's already quite good at, you know, as far as the commanding officer goes. Mm-hmm. I'm looking through the volume to make sure we didn't miss anything. The only thing I wanted to say before we walked away was, you know, after Guts and Griffith's uh, fight, you know, he he ruminates on the fact that he lost. He was totally destroyed in their fight. It was easy for him, basically. Yeah, you know, I thought that was interesting. That Gus is not used to facing someone like that in, in, in his at this level for him. That he's it could so easily beat him. You know, yeah. Even that's a way of keeping him there. You know, to to understand Griffith and to get to know this person. I imagine. Anyway, the volume ends it. I mean, I think it's a weird point. It's mid battle. I, I kind of feel like I wish this volume was a little longer or a little shorter, one of the two. But to end it in the middle of this battle is a little strange. But um. It's fine. You know, Volume 5 will pick up next time. Well, the thing is, you know, yeah, there's there's a problem with volumes is that you don't always choose what they end on, you know. So it's, you know, it's also the the way, you know, it works with episodic, you know, releases. But uh, anyway, in that battle, I just want to say in that first assault on the... On that camp, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we get to see a lot of, you know, a lot of nice shots of, you know, riders, you know, so like the hawks, you know, riding, you know, you see Gus Griffiths, everybody, you know, so they're riding, the horses jumping. There's a, a few double pages that are pretty nice with Gus among them. Yeah. Gus or Griffiths. 
And uh, yeah, I think, you know, well, I just want to say that these are some pretty cool battle scenes, you know, like some pretty nice shots, you know, like you were mentioning visual fidelity earlier. And uh, totally. yeah, I think, you know, this uh, gets to, to yeah, show. Yeah, you know. I probably <laughs> should have taken more notes on this section. Again, we're getting into the section of the series where I'm apprehensive to dissect it too closely because, again, I, I feel like I'm covering material everyone knows too so well. But you're, you're right in that there are all these little moments where you can very easily gloss over them. So I'll, I'll try to make more of an effort next time to not skip over these because there are some – there's certainly some things to say about these sections. Well, yeah. Well, it's not just, you know, I mean, you know what you want. But I think it's uh, it's nice to point to point out when uh, when these, you know, get, you know, really, really neat. Yeah, for sure. That's all I had for the show. Um I had a video game section written down, but there's no time left. We've been going for two and a half hours, so yeah, we'll just, we'll just end it here. Thanks for joining me. Griffith had to go early in case you guys didn't notice, but we'll be back next time. There's an issue. It will be uh, the ending of Gigantomaki is six and uh, volume five. So thanks for tuning in to the Skullcast, and we'll see you here next time. 